0: The wife loved this toaster because they had gotten it in Italy, like on their honeymoon or whatever, and he knew that she loved the toaster. The firm (laughs) billed like $45,000. My project for a month was figure out how to keep the wife from getting this toaster. And I said, I'm never doing this again. All right, everybody, welcome to another great episode today of Cases Gone Wild with me, your host, John Marco of Marco Law. Today, we have a very special guest who flew in all the way from Chicago to be on today's show, my good friend, Nicholas Kronauer. Welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me on. Always. Thanks for being here in Detroit. Remember, if you like the show, please follow us. Please share with your friends and family. Reminder, if you want to watch us in video, you can go to our YouTube channel at Marco Law, Cases Gone Wild, and you can actually watch us. Uh, If you're driving or something, I don't recommend that. Please listen on your audio device, your Audible or whatever. Uh, So let's get right into today's show. Nick, I've known you for a long time now. We're, we're kind of in similar ages of our practice, yeah, I think. And I met you out at, Jer- at a Jerry Spence event, didn't we meet? The Chicago Regional. Chicago Regional, where we went to a trial lawyers uh, event together with with uh, Jerry Spence, was it? Or Jerry. was it something else? No, it was
1: the, yeah, it was Jerry Spence.
0: Jerry Spence. And then We've been to a, a lot of things together across the country. I've we've watched each other's careers kind of grow over the last decade or so. And uh, I'll tell the viewers a little bit about you. You're you're based in sh- the greater Chicago area in Illinois, yeah, right? Correct done cases all over the country. I know you've done some stuff in Indiana, done some stuff in other places. You went to Illinois State University. You graduated the same year that I graduated in undergrad in 2008. And then you went to Valparaiso University for law school and you've just been killing it ever since. I know you first started working with your dad and you've kind of taken over, developed, grown the firm and focused on personal injury. You have a diverse practice like me, right? You do like PI, governmental stuff, med mail. I mean, you would kind of do it all.
1: Yeah. As you know, when you kind of start doing your own thing, you don't really have the opportunity to be selective. So you just kind of start developing a niche and that niche can be trial work, but there's a lot of things that include trial work, right?
0: Yeah. Right. Right. So what's it like in Chicago? You know, that's kind of known for us plaintiffs, injury lawyers as kind of like a Mecca, right? Like people always say that Chicago has Good juries, mm-hmm. they have good courts, the good law.
1: It, it's definitely great for plaintiffs. I mean, like everything, there's some bad things. Um, we got bad dram laws. We've got, you know, the unanimous verdict is tough, but for the most part, it hasn't stopped many people from getting monster verdicts, doing a great job, getting good verdicts, but, you know, definitely more plaintiffs friendly than defense.
0: And how's Chicago nowadays, man? You guys are getting a bad rap on the news, yeah. dude, with, like, crime and stuff. It's like Detroit back in... 2008 when like Detroit was on the top of Forbes you don't hear that about Detroit anymore, but I'll, you hear it about Chicago now. Is it overrated or what? What's going it's on there?
1: Absolutely overrated. And it's funny you say that because the first time I came to Detroit was to meet, meet up with you, do something in case or whatever. And it's funny cause I remember having those same thoughts here in Detroit so bad and you can see it. It's not right. When you yeah, get there, yeah. same thing with Chicago. I mean, it's like anything, there's bad parts, parts stay away from, but overall it's a lot of just perceptions, reality, unfortunately. And, media controls the narrative and the narrative is it's dangerous. And people think that, but it's, it's, overall I've always safe. had
0: a great time in Chicago, man. I, we've, I had some cases there. We worked on some stuff. We had an expert depth there and you guys have the great deep dish pizza. So for sure, sh- for sure. Lou's Ginos, all that. Yeah. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to get together soon outside of this in Chicago, but tell us about some of your crazy cases and what it's like practicing in the greater Chicago area. Because you know you're on Cases Gone Wild, so I hope you brought some good ones for <laughs> you know us what,
1: today. I'm trying, trying to keep up. Um, so I, I got some. I don't know if they're wild enough for John Marco, because I know you're pretty wild, but i will see well, what we can I, do. Well, if they're not wild <laughs> enough, I'll
0: I'll cut in with some of my wild stories. <laughs> so, so.
1: Sounds good. So, you know, it, it's funny because I graduated similar with you, basically kind of started working with my dad right wanted to do the big thing downtown didn't work out lots of lawyers unemployed at that time so um started working for him he was general practice i want to do trial work right so one of my first trials at the time he didn't really have a pi practice you know handful of smaller kind of the whiplash cases but um, my first trial was a criminal uh, first degree not first degree see i don't even do criminal stuff anymore but basically a, a felony felony trial for a guy who um, was a bad neighbor dispute
0: um, okay so just so our viewers know a felony obviously that's that's bad but that means you can go to prison cor- right cor- felony is at least in michigan it's more than one year of punishment which is means instead of going to the local jail you go into the pen
1: cor- correct i mean it's a serious charge i believe it was class three at the time you know not a misdemeanor i mean you're you're going to jail for over a year, which generally means prison. Granted you could get probation, but you know, then you're a felon,
0: right? Yeah. And you can get like there's all kind of laws for felons, like you can't have a gun, you have to it's on your record, you're known as a felon for the rest of your I mean, all kind of stigma, all kind of bad stuff. So this is a big this is bad news, B- Bears.
1: Bad news, big deal. Um I mean the case quite frankly was, was ridiculous. Well right? what
0: is it? What do you mean a neighbor dispute?
1: So you know, suburban neighbors that can't get along. They had a dispute over someone having a campfire in their backyard, which then spilled over to a hose being thrown, which spilled over with my client at the time getting charged with misdemeanor assault of his neighbor.
0: Okay. okay but that's not this case.
1: Misdemeanor assault, right? Correct. So then what and happens. What's
0: up with these bad na- Like you always hear like these people going, it's it's like the worst. It's I'm lucky that I've never had really bad neighbor disputes since college when we, we did have bad neighbor disputes over like throwing two big parties <laughs> and stuff. But you know, you leave. Uh, I can't imagine some of the, hearing about some of these horrible feuds like the Hatfields and the McCoys that seem to like go on for like decades and then you you're living next to someone that you despise and hate and creates problems. I had a case sorry to interrupt your your case gone wild here. I had a case once with this old lady in Hamtramck, where <laughs> I mean, that's do you a, know Hamtramck, no. it's like okay, Hamtramck is it's in Detroit. It's it's subsumed in Detroit, but it's own little city, and it used to be like really Polish, and it was like the Polish, all the all the Polish people lived there, but then as the demographics changed, it became a lot more diverse. You had uh, a lot more of um, a lot more of Arab Americans coming okay. in. And the Polish people, you know, it creates friction sometimes when there's demographic changes. Yep, absolutely. And there was this old Polish lady who was like poisoning the neighbors' dogs and cats, throwing stuff over the fence. And she got charged criminally. I mean, it's just crazy to think of that you have to worry about that. But anyway, sorry to digress. So- no,
1: no, I mean, it's a similar situation, right? becomes emotional, doesn't come practical, reasonable. I've got my own neighbor situation right now. We can talk about that maybe maybe next year when that's resolved. But um, yeah, no, I, yeah. I mean, the truth gives you anxiety. You just want to live in peace and neighbors don't get along. But, um, you know, these neighbors didn't like each other. And it, it's funny because I do think there might have been some issues um, with demographics, right? But anyway, it's beside the point. But so my guy gets charged with assault, misdemeanor assault, which no big deal for what? Throwing a hose for throwing a hose at the neighbor. Cause they were fighting over smoke. Did he chuck it at her head or something or just, what? Just because it threw it in his direction over the fence and got near him and oh, put he him threw in, it over the fence. Correct. Okay. So he gets charged with, with assault. You know, neighbor calls the police. Oh my God. Well then from there, it just dovetails into the neighbors can't get along and calling the cops all the time on each other uh, on each other. Over stupid stuff, probably. Absolutely stupid stuff, right? Anytime they do something, cops get called. So I think eventually the cops just got sick of getting called, right? So my guy then later gets charged with felony intimidation of a witness saying that he is walking by his neighbor's house trying to intimidate him from the assault charge case. And, again, class three felony serious stuff. So um, they would not... They wouldn't so, plea deal. So
0: so just so we understand here. So the dude, your client, is being charged with a misdemeanor assault for throwing a hose over the fence. Correct. While that case is still pending in the court system correct. at the time. Yes. While it's pending, he gets charged with a witness intimidation. Correct. And witness intimidation is pretty serious charge. That's like... You cannot go out and intimidate witnesses in criminal or civil cases in order to, like, you know, use the court system or like, you know, it's like John Gotti stuff. I don't know if you saw, just saw the John Gotti Netflix show, but it's like, you know, they're intimidating. That's mob stuff, like intimidating witnesses. Wait, Watch The Godfather, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or they go missing. They go to the river. bottom of the river with the cement anklets on. But what happened here? So, like, what was the intimidation? So well, here's
1: where it gets crazy. So our guy's a big, he's he's big German, you know, probably six five, big beard, just huge. The ne- other neighbor's probably five five, skinny. So the size difference is significant. But it turns out, I mean, so basically what he was doing is he was, they had all this videotape. the The neighbor's wife was videotaping my guy in front of their house with his dog, and they had hours of video. Um and this is a criminal case, right? So I don't get to depose anyone. I don't get to sit down and try to figure out what, what is going on? Why do they have this video? All my, my clients telling me is I'm walking my dog, which I've done every day for the last 10 years I've lived there. Um, and you can see like the dog is literally like peeing on a mailbox, right? Like doing what, what dogs do. Well, they're all saying that that dog walking, peeing on the mailboxes, is, is trying to intimidate the neighbors. Well, did he walk the dog like on her property or s- up to the door? <laughs> or? So here's, here's how crazy this case was. We had to go hire an expert surveyor, which we did, to prove that the area where the dog was being walked was the public right-of-way easement.
0: This is crazy. <laughs> so this this guy got charged with a felony for walking his dog. But what is he supposed to do? Like stay inside his house and not leave? This sounds like a hell story. Like, <laughs> I mean, thank w- God I have these good neighbors that don't bother me and are nice.
1: And that's what we said. And, you know, we were trying to negotiate with the police. They wouldn't do it. They're like, well, tell them not to walk in front of our house. It's a public right away. It's surveyed. It's
0: the neighbor. Well, what is he supposed to do? Like walk around the block or something? It, it, that's crazy. Much. So what, was he like pointing weapons at her house or something when he walked by no
1: no weapons he would he would be holding the dog leash generally he would maybe stand you know as you're holding a dog leash while the dogs kind of sniffing walk in pee in. um no didn't didn't defecate or poop one time right like the dog starts pooping wasn't even
0: pooping wasn't i got pooping. people's dogs pooping in my <laughs> lawn all day long i'm start not calling the police call the
1: police for intimidation um so what happened in this so crazy they, they case? Again, this is so. This is 2012, right? So I'm out of law school, barely a year. Um, first felony case. First felony case uh, ends up being my first trial ever, jury trial ever. You had to go to trial on the dog walking. We went to trial on the dog. They would not re- agree to reduce it from a felony. That's how like gun ho they were to get this
0: guy. That's crazy. Can you imagine facing prison time for walking your dog?
1: and this is what the resources of the government are, <laughs>
0: are prosecuting it, it sounds like like some communist or like third world country stuff <sighs> it, taxpayers dollars are going
1: going those. over dog dog walking so we go to trial um call the, you know calling 12 person jury in illinois it's a criminal case you know if he gets convicted he's he could in theory go to jail right prison um, prison and i'm 25 years old my first jury trial right were you um, nervous? Oh, very. Absolutely. Um, I remember I knocked over, so I was trying to fill my water up, I think, before opening. I freaking knocked over the water all over the table. Um,
0: Which makes you even more
1: nervous. <laughs> exactly. So, the actually, funny story, the bailiff on the next day brought me a uh, baby bottle for me to <laughs> put my water in as a joke. But, um, no, so we went to trial. I remember in opening, I told the jury that, you know, we're here for a felony case, which is crazy. And the state objected and moved for a mistrial because apparently I didn't realize this then.
0: Um, apparently, you're not allowed to tell the jury what the charge is, which to me seemed foreign. But I didn't I didn't um, even know that. You can't tell the jury what the charge is. Well, don't they have to decide? They, they know
1: the charge and that it was intimidation of a witness. But you can't tell them it's as a class three felony, which is what I did.
0: Okay. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I even. mean, I don't know. I've been practicing for <laughs> Shit. 15 almost two decades. I didn't know that. So, what so what happened? Did the did you get a mistrial then? No,
1: so luckily, you know, the state objected. They filed a motion for a mistrial saying how bad of a lawyer I was for doing that,
0: but luckily the judge denied it. And the judge probably knew you were new and like probably for, scared like a deer in the headlights, anyways. For you sure. Know? They, they, if you do things by accident or even ignorance, like, like that's excusable. Normally, judges are pretty chill, right? Yeah, she depending.
1: Was, she was good, nice, chill, and very. Respectful, because you know, judge could really intimidate a new lawyer who's sure first sure. trial. So, but uh, there's like a four day trial, and ba- and basically how it ended, we won, not guilty. Um, and I still remember that first like deliberation, right? I'm sure you probably remember yours, just that sickness in your stomach, right? Like, what else? I can't do anything else. It's out of my hands. Yeah, and, to me,
0: the worst part of a trial. Well, there's there's two. First is getting ready, because. It's just so stressful leading up to the trial. Once I'm in the trial, I feel great usually, you know. Even if things aren't always going my way, I'm 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 in it, I'm in it, I'm in it, you know, you're like the man in the arena. Yeah. But like getting ready sucks, but the only thing that sucks worse is when you are waiting on a verdict. And you just are sitting there and you can't do anything about it. And it's like all out of your hands. It's completely out of your control. Cause give having control gives mm-hmm. you at least a feeling of kind of empowerment, right? For like, sure. like I can do this different. I can do better. I can, you know, control mm-hmm. this. I can control it when you don't feel in control at all. That's really a tough feeling.
1: It's the only thing about trial work. I will say usually trial work, you know, it's exhilarating. It's a one part of trial work and it's gotten better now with doing lots more trials, but that pit in your stomach, like it's out of my control, you know, 12 strangers are now going to tell me that I do, do a good job, do a bad job. Um, so I remember that to this day, I could, you know, trying to eat lunch, couldn't eat lunch. I was just so sick to my stomach. Yeah. And, and it's one thing. I mean, I don't want to um, belittle, belittle anyone. I mean, everyone's case is big to them. Right. But I mean, if you're looking at life, not life, but time behind bars, I mean, that's a big deal.
0: Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. My last trial, I, I closed. And then I said, okay, see you later. And I made my associates stay in, <laughs> wait for the verdict. And part of that, part of it is I had to get to Halloween for my kids to go trick-or-treating. But the other part is I don't want to wait there and, you know, have the anxiety of it. Um, you know, he can, he can babysit and and go do that, you know, but,
1: but so ultimately we won. And I mean, and and here's the reason why we won. And this came out again in cross-examination because Again, unlike civil work, for those you who don't do, do law practice, criminals of the Wild West. You show up, and you just start asking questions because you don't have discovery. So it turned out this guy's wife, right? Whose wife? The the, the neighbor's wife. So not my client, but the, the victim, the victim's wife. Okay. She was a stay-at-home mom. She was sitting in her living room basically all afternoon because she knew from my client's 10 years of history living next to each other, he would walk his dog every afternoon. Didn't necessarily know when. But she would know, you know, between one and four, he would generally go outside. Every day. So he just did that every day. Pretty pretty much every day. And the weird thing is the way the houses were, were set up, she couldn't see when he would actually leave his house. So she had to sit in her room in such a position. She could see off her neighbors across the street window pane as like a mirror. And she would see the flicker from the garage door would go up. And then my client would walk out with his dog, would do a lap because they're in kind of like a a big loop subdivision, come across. And that's when she knew to start videotaping. So she literally was like, it was a setup. It was an absolute setup.
0: Setup. She waited there all day (laughs) because she knew this dude liked to walk his dog, to catch him walking his dog, and then said, we were intimidated. That's messed up, man. Isn't that crazy? People, people, that's savage. Like, look, I've been, I don't always get along with everybody, but- I can't imagine setting up a neighbor and putting them in potential prison and ruining their life over a garden hose. I mean, hose. Wh- what did it all start over anyway? A garden hose? A garden
1: hose, yeah. That's Not, crazy. I don't even remember what happened with the garden hose case, to be honest, but that case I'll never forget. Uh,
0: Dude, that's crazy. All right, well, I you know, I had I've seen some of these neighbor disputes, like, They're legacies. I mean, like, we had a neighbor dispute. I remember when I clerked for the Supreme Court, these rich, and some of the worst neighbor disputes is rich people. Oh, more money than brains. (laughs) Exactly, because they're like, they will spend endless amounts of money against their neighbors, and it's insanity. And the other crazy things are these, like, housing associations, HOAs, they'll do the craziest stuff, And waste all kind of money over the stupidest things in the world. And then people get mad. People get mad. And, you know, look, your home is your castle, right? Right. Like, you should feel safe at home. You should be able to go home and chill. Uh, And I can't imagine. But we had this case at the Supreme Court. And so that just tells you right there. It's a property dispute. That's all the way up at the Supreme Court. and. They had spent, each side had spent probably hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's like first world problems. Like these rich <laughs> right. people who had, it wasn't even their primary residence. It was, they probably, had these- At a lake house, right? Lake always, house. At a, always at a lake house. Always at a lake house. <laughs> <laughs> and there was an easement dispute over if they could build something on this easement. So an easement is like, you- They needed to use the other person's road or whatever on their property to get to their property. Otherwise, their property was landlocked. I mean, they'd have to fly a helicopter (laughs) in. So they had an easement like for, I don't know, 80 years or something. And then like a new and then like somebody pissed somebody off. So they're like, you can no longer use the road anymore. And they're like, well, I can't get to the house without using the road. And then one person built something and it like obstructed the view of the lake for <laughs> the other person, so they just sued each other. And this case went on for eight years, hundreds of thousands of dollars over the stupidest thing. Uh, it's just a shame how how those things can kind of spiral out of control. It's almost like family law, right? You see for, in family for, law, yeah. people like fighting with each other over the stupidest things because it's not even really about. What's going on, it's about their emotions and their hatred for one another. I mean,
1: again, we don't do family law anymore. But again, when you're starting, we did a little, I mean, I did a little bit of family law, right? Before I had um, my cases now where I don't have to do family law, but no, and it's exactly right. It becomes emotional. It doesn't matter how great of a result you got. I remember we got someone like uh, 70% of the assets, right? And she was mad she wanted more. It's like,
0: yeah, yeah. I had one, so I knew I was never going to do family law when I was a summer associate. So, for our viewers, summer associate is like you work at a law firm during the second or third year of law school during the summer. So, you get out of school for the summer, you get a job at a law firm, they treat you, they pay you a lot of money. They pay you like you're a mm-hmm. first year lawyer, and they wine and dine you because they want you to come work there. They don't you th- how bad it is and you- that you're going to be working 100 hours a week right it's like facade right yeah it's all <laughs> it's all a fantasy but it's a nice fantasy back then because as a poor broke law student right. uh i was drinking red wine for the first time in my life and uh and expensive red Boone's wine, right? farm right right and getting paid a lot of money uh for the summer and you know so anyways they make you rotate through at this particular big firm i worked at a big firm one summer And they make you rotate through all the practice groups. I didn't want to do that. I said, look, I said, I'm going to be a litigator. I want to be a a, a trial lawyer. And they're like, no, you have to go through these groups. So I had to go to the family law group. And my project (laughs) was, again, people with too much money. Especially a firm like that. That's
1: like
0: FU money. uh, FU money, right? And so it was a divorce case between this ultra wealthy guy in Grand Rapids and his wife and my research project. Was he cheating on her? uh, I don't remember what broke them up or not. I just remember they hated each other and they were both spending all of his money on lawyers. And uh, my research project was she had a toaster that they had gotten when they went to vacation in Italy. And it was a nice toaster, but it wasn't. That nice, dude. It was a toaster. a toaster. What can you do toaster? It Get like a, a cappuccino toaster. machine. Right? Yeah, it was a toaster. And she, the wife loved this toaster because they had got it in Italy, like on their honeymoon or whatever. And he knew that she loved the toaster. The firm <laughs> billed like $45,000. My project for a month was figure out how to keep the wife from getting this toaster. And- I said, "I'm never doing this again." I said, "This is the most despicable, disgusting thing. Waste of waste resources. of time." And I felt like a waste of a human being. I'm trying to keep this wife from getting this toaster that she loves, and the only reason he doesn't give a shit about the toaster, he doesn't want her to have the toaster. <laughs> right. And so, I was looking at the legal bills, and I almost like fell over in my seat that this dude's just throwing all this money at it. I said, "I said, I this is not going to be my life. This is not going to be my future." I'm never doing family law again.
1: So you're what? 25 at that point? Even? Uh,
0: 26 at the time. No, no, 25. I was 25 at that time. 24, 25.
1: Imagine then being like the 45 year old partner who's got to come home. The wife or kids ask, what'd you do today? Dad, Oh, f- thought of a toaster. Tried to screw yeah. this, Try to this, this screw divorcee this
0: lady. out of a toaster. <laughs> God. So I'm glad we don't have to do that. And here we are today. So yeah, I, I don't know. Whatever happened, I don't even know who got the toaster. If you're out there in Grand Rapids and you're the toaster client, uh, feel free to reach out to us. We can give you a little a little special that our viewers would like to hear. Well, who got the toaster? Who got the toaster? Maybe they split <laughs> it in half, one slice for each, they,
1: but I don't know. So, okay, well, so real, real quick, we should have done said, give me 25 grand. I'll fly to Europe. I'll buy another toaster, and I'll bring it back, and we can both have a toaster.
0: Yeah, he he didn't. It wasn't about him getting the toaster. He would (laughs) have probably stomped on it and threw it away. It was about her Not. not getting the toaster. So, anyways, all right. But this is the crazy stuff that we deal with. People do do crazy stuff, but it makes what we do, I think, a lot better when you have like a meaningful case where you can really do justice and it ain't the toaster cases i'm sorry to all you family law attorneys that are listening to this i know you do a lot of great stuff just it's not about the toasters guys so what so tell me about some more crazy cases uh have you ever done a toaster case like a toaster malfunction case
1: i have not done a toaster malfunction case we got some of those um pressure cooker exploding cases okay pressure cookers Um, Pretty early on, but yeah, no, no toaster All right, cases. well,
0: what about another real crazy case that you've done from, bringing in the Chicago. Well, let's,
1: yeah, let's bring in Chicago. So one the I talked about, you know, Chicago's a great place. Illinois Journal's a great place to practice law, right? We yeah. Got, we got two things that are bad, okay? 12 unanimous verdict. They tried to do six, got struck down by the Supreme Court. So we need 12 unanimous for a verdict, which it's- That's crazy, it's, bro. To so get a lot of people to agree, to give lots of money.
0: and And just so our viewers understand, in a normal civil case in Michigan- You only need six jurors to agree and you do not need it to be unanimous. So, for example, if you have a case with eight jurors, once six in a civil case, once six jurors agree on the verdict, that's the verdict. So you can have two people saying, I'm not down with this verdict, Mr. Marco, as long as you have six that agree, you're good to go. In federal court, it's different. You have to have a unanimous, in other words, every juror has to agree. So you can have one holdout who screws up the whole case. And if one person refuses to go mm-hmm. along, then the case is mistried and they have to start you have to start all over again. But even in federal court here, so we just did a case, it was only six. You only needed six unanimous jurors in a civil case. The more jurors that you have for unanimous, the harder, harder it is because it only takes one and that's a lot of people to be deliberating. Uh, so, okay. So that's one thing in Chicago, 12 unanimous jurors on a civil case in state court. I didn't know that.
1: And then the other bad thing is dram shop. So Illinois dram caps damages, whether you've got in a car crash, whether
0: someone dies. All right, Dram Shop, for those of us who don't practice in this area, is a special law that you can hold businesses accountable if they over someone alcohol and then they hurt someone else. So for example, it's most commonly done in somebody goes to a bar, they're wasted, slurring, falling over, the bar continues to serve the person, they get completely blottoed. They go out to the parking lot, get behind the wheel of the car, drive onto the highway and kill somebody. You can sue the person that drove because obviously they're responsible, yeah. but you can also sue the bar. And the reason is, the idea is, bars need to be reasonable and responsible in for the honor and privilege of serving alcohol because we know from collective experience going back to the Egyptian times before Christ that people do stupid things when they get drunk. And so, yes, we have lots of bars and restaurants, but uh, if you're gonna serve people booze, once they get wasted, you gotta cut them off. Yep. Or, or people can get hurt. So that's that's that law. So tell us why that law is bad, because it's tough here too to do those cases. But, but.
1: do you have, does Michigan have caps on DRAM? No,
0: we do not have caps.
1: So we have caps, so the most you can absolutely get, and I. I haven't checked in a while what it is, but it's around $100,000 if someone dies. What? If someone dies, it's somewhere around $100,000. Wait, so
0: you're telling me a guy goes into the bar, takes 30 shots in the middle of the day, is wasted, the bar just keeps serving them, says, here's your car keys, and they go and run over a little baby who's walking down the street Mm -hmm. in a stroller, the most that they can get for that baby's life is $100,000? It's not like a lawyer. Most likely, yes. Oh, that's horrible. So I'll tell you how that's about, not fair about
1: this case. Um, but yeah, and if you don't die, it's under hundred thousand dollars. That's crazy. Yes. So which makes it those cases tough because there's no. risk. Why do they do sure. this?
0: They let you guys like your bars in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, then.
1: I mean the uh, the alcohol lobby apparently is strong. <laughs> yeah, in Chicago, wants other things. So Too silent baby. If yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, that in the insurance industry is based out of Illinois. So that might have, have some say, but, but there are exceptions. Um, so if you can prove an act independent of the service of alcohol, you can get general liability.
0: All right. Well, what does that mean in English for our viewers?
1: Perfect. So basically you can prove that the bar did something that brought about the death or the harm other than serving alcohol.
0: So just general negligence, I guess you would say. Correct. So well, in theory, though, like how does that work? Like other than serving out? I mean, what can the bar do unless the bar's like driving the car?
1: Great question. And so generally it happens a lot of times with uh, bouncers hurt someone. Okay. Um, bouncers forcibly, you, you pick someone from the bar and they get in a car. It's like a bouncer drive. assault. Okay. Bouncer assault. Um, So in our case, we we ultimately were able to get her on the dram. Well, it's on appeal, but um, through trial court we able to get around the jam
0: and what happened in your case
1: well so what happened with i get this case right um i demand the, the caps hundred thousand hundred thousand other words it's a, it's a tragic well, what happened just case. tell
0: us like is your guy messed up he, your guy died he died
1: passed away yeah but the driver and the passenger died okay terrible horrific fireball car crash case oh my god um so i get the case demand the limits because it's Too low for a death case. They tell me to pound sand. Won't do it. Um, So we ended up having to try it. And luckily we were able to get um, an independent act of negligence. And what happened was in this case, which is wild, is that they were at this bar drinking after hours. And it's all on video. Everything. All the the shots. They were doing everything. So what happened was there was a shot girl um, who we had Facebook messages. We had... um, um, Text messages other people, and she decided she was going to follow, follow these two guys home because you know she something didn't feel right to her that they were going to be driving home. Not not that they were drunk, right? Okay, that's bullshit. Something didn't feel right.
0: That's bullshit. What didn't feel right? Give me a break. Exactly. So what happened was, they the, the bar knew that these guys were so messed up from drinking there that they didn't even think they could drive home safely. So rather Correct. than call them a cab or something, she just followed them she, home? Her,
1: her theory was she was going to help follow them home to get them, forbid them, to get, make sure they get home safely. So we yeah, sued the bar for um, what's called a voluntary undertaking, saying you this isn't about, about the alcohol. This is you undertook a duty to follow them home safe. She's the bar's agent you were negligent in doing Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, yeah. We have the same type of doctrine here. There's like a famous case with the Boy Scouts where a Boy Scout troop leader said, I'm going to take your kids, make sure they get home safe from the Boy Scout meeting. And then he just like let them like run in the street uh, after he he dropped them off and took off, didn't even like wait. They get smoked by a car and they got sued because the idea is you take... You don't have to, they didn't have to drive them home, but once you decide that you're going to do it, you, you can't be an idiot. Exactly. Right. And following
1: drunk people is not the best choice to make sure they get home safely. Right. So, you know, it was a whole, there's a whole bunch of issues. They fought that, fought agency, fought this, fought that. But you know, ultimately again, we got a verdict, got a great verdict, exceeded the dram limits. We got $4 million verdict.
0: Oh, wow. Um, Congratulations. That's huge.
1: Thank you. I said, it's still an appeal. So. Knock on wood, but yeah. but here's what what's crazy. So like I said, this whole night's on video, right? And the insurance company's just defiant the whole time, right? Like your guys,
0: your guy's drunk; he's at fault. You're not going to win. Well, did you represent the driver or the, the passenger. passenger? Okay, no passenger. Good. All right, so so you represent the passenger of this vehicle, the passenger, correct. which is always better because the passenger's innocent. Correct. I mean, well, other as than you know, other, other in than a car being with a drunk person,
1: getting in a car with a drunk person, he was like a point three. Um, you know. it's Four in the morning. Here's what. Here's what's crazy. It's four in the morning. The bar manager, this, the the shot girl, the driver of the vehicle is on film. Literally passed out. You know, in a door threshold, can barely stand up. Who the bartender? The, the driver. the, oh, the ultimate the driver of the vehicle. Passed out at the bar. Passed out. Not no. Walking to the car. Passed out in a door jam. The bar manager's literally walking over this guy. You know, trying to lock up, and then finally, he's like, all right, we got to go. Pushes him out the door. You know, they Hobbled in the in the car. And then this this shot girl is like, okay, well I'm gonna follow you home and make sure you get home safe.
0: What it, uh,
1: was this like a downtown Chicago bar or
0: where was it? No, it
1: was in in um a rural town, rural like town. Hour, yeah, sometimes man,
0: it gets crazy. It's the wild west out there.
1: And, um, you know, so we argued, You should have called Uber. You could have done this. That or call the police, right? Yeah. Um, but but, but anyway. don't
0: let the guy drive. And they almost like enabled him to drive. It sounds like exactly, you know, which is arguments. different, right? So, okay, so what happened? So here's what happened. So here's
1: what's crazy. I mean, I didn't, I didn't see it coming. Um, we, you know, we go to trial. They're they're being defiant. You know, our guys doesn't deserve anything because he's intoxicated. They get up and opening. This is all. Remember, the whole night's on film. Right? We got hours of footage, and you know we i'm up there giving them the opening, saying, here's what we expect the fence to talk about blah 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 i sit down they get up and they start showing video of our client the passenger smacking the driver in the nuts with his hand right
0: wait where is he smacking him in the nuts in the bar oh so they're inside the it, bar before they drive like, like, and he's like there's like two they're, they're rough housing they're drunk they're drunk Roughhousing, right so he's smacking not his bare nut sack no, I mean, he's pants on, but okay, he's, he's okay. like,
1: or maybe, actually, he might have need him. I don't remember now, but... But he does him.
0: like a crotch hit. He, correct, crotch hit. people used to do that. I hated when people did that. Correct. People, when we were young, they would do that. It would be like, you're just chilling, and then they'd hit you in your privates and <laughs> right. thought it was funny. I I hated it.
1: And so... It didn't feel good. In the opening, they tell the jury, this guy isn't drunk. He lost control of his vehicle because he got hit in the nuts, you know, hours before. Wait, night. what? The nutshot defense, I call it. It was the nutshot defense.
0: They did what? They the said- insurance company <laughs> lawyer's defense was: the dude crashed his car into a fiery, burning inferno, inferno while he had a point three zero blood alcohol content. Uh, the driver
1: was like a point two. My the passenger, my client was okay.
0: Point two, which means twenty percent of his blood, blood was alcohol, and. He crashed his car because his nuts hurt. <laughs> yes. What? Like what? With a with a straight food. Came up with this. <laughs> I did, I, who that? Who I, told I, this guy that was a good I, idea?
1: I, definitely not a focus group, right? Um, that did not carry much favor with any of the jurors. I can tell you that much. So,
0: how did you deal with the nutshot defense?
1: <sighs> Common sense. Um, I mean, we had hours of footage, basically. Said they can use their common sense. Well, here here's another thing about the nut shot defense. They used the bar manager who was like stepping over the the driver because he could not barely walk um, as their expert to talk about how painful it is for a man when he gets hitting hitting them nuts.
0: What? <laughs> we, Dude, is this, yeah, real? this is real? Is this? Are you making this up to try to <laughs> make this case has gone wild sound better from Chicago? So all these Detroit lawyers who listen to this are like, oh man, this is crazy. This is wild. I'll send you all the transcripts. So did he, did the appeal. attorney move to qualify the guy as an expert in <laughs> testicular <laughs> trauma, or we, what?
1: We objected, you know, and to the judge's benefit. I mean, at that point, it's like WWE. Just like they heard it. So Let's what? Go. So
0: the guy testified, like based on personal <laughs> bar knowledge, that the nuts that were hit. Caused <laughs> a car crash two somehow hours it, later. Back to his
1: inability to navigate a turn um, and crash into a tree. And obviously I don't mean to laugh tragic outcome,
0: but was, like, was there any autopsy performed that where they indicated that knots had been traumatized? No, and it, it's it's funny because
1: an autopsy was performed. Um, and their argument was, to get around the the BAC, they had brought in an expert who said that the Inferno, the vehicle's Inferno, um,
0: changed the blood toxicology, so the blood toxicology wasn't What? Accurate. Dude, what is wrong with people in the greater Chicago area defending these cases? Who, they, they, I, did you ask the expert, did his getting hit in the nuts cause the crash? Oh, Absolutely. And what did he say?
1: I mean, basically, all he would say is, I'll, all I'm here to render opinion on is that he wasn't, you know, yeah. the, the blood. I'm he did, not he here. Did, he did, he did I have one. no comment on the <laughs> not shot defense.
0: Dude, well, what's up? I got to tell you something, okay? And I don't mean to be offensive to anyone in the greater Chicago area, but I've had some cases over the years with attorneys from Chicago, defense attorneys. And I got to tell you, as a general rule, and I hate to lump people together like this, They've been very difficult Mm -hmm. to deal with. They've been uh, very dishonest, uh, uh, the ones that I've dealt with. They've been very hard-headed and kind of like weirdly aggressive. Like not like just like very weirdly aggressive. Is this something that you find you deal with a lot? And I hate to lump people (sighs) in and say, maybe it's just the Chicago attorneys that I've gotten on my cases But they've been they've been real difficult to deal with. Here's what I will say. I'm
1: used to it. So to me, it's normal. Right. But, you know, I've got a lot of other plaintiff lawyer friends from around the country. And that's a common question I get from basically anyone that ever has a case with Chicago lawyers. Like, is this normal or is this like abnormal? So what do you think it is? Like, what is it about? I, you know, I think, you know, we, we met, we've become great friends over the years you know, we kind of have a bond in what we do and we help each other. We share. And I feel like the defense mindset's very competitive, like zero sum game worried about losing their adjuster, their insurer, and they don't, there's a lot of law firms in Chicago. And so I think it's them feeling like they got to protect themselves. Like self-preservation. Correct.
0: Yeah. It's different on the defense side. I feel like a lot of times, and there's exceptions to this, but defense attorneys from one firm, don't want to help out defense attorneys from another firm because they're scared to death of losing the client. So like, let's say you have state farm insurance company or whatever is your client. You want to make sure that that client doesn't go to any other attorney. They almost want to see each other fail. Yep. I mean, see the attorneys outside their firm fail because that will be beneficial to them because they can get more clients, make more money. Yep. From, Whereas I kind of see it on the plaintiff side generally as, you know, a, a rising tide, tide lifts all the boats absolutely. and all the ships. So, Well, like you know, in
1: the DRAM case you talked about, I mean, you had influence in that verdict. You probably didn't know it, but you talked about it. I asked you for advice and help, and, yeah. you know, you've done a lot of DRAM cases, kind of helped me navigate what you think I should yeah, do. Yeah, I think that I
0: sent you some of my uh, voir dire for and sure. my opening and closing on that. And if we were that,
1: defense lawyers, you'd tell me to go,
0: Go pound sand, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't want to help you. I hope I hope you lose, so that I can right, maybe get, take, get your yeah. client. Yeah, right? who's
1: your adjuster, by the way? Yeah, yeah.
0: Let me call. Well, hopefully, I that dude with the nutsack defense guy. I mean, can you imagine writing that up to, to the adjuster? Because these defense attorneys have to like tell their insurance company what they're going to do. Like, I wish I could see that letter. Like, all right, we're screwed. Uh, this was a fiery inferno, and they have video of. The guy blasted. <laughs> but I got an idea. <laughs> this is going to work. Three <laughs> hours before he drove his car wasted and crashed it into a tree or whatever, he got slapped in the nuts. nuts. So we're going to tie that in to the crash. To the crash. And he had a sudden pang of pain in his nuts, although no, <laughs> nobody can prove it. And then we don't have a nutsack expert, so we're gonna call. The
1: female bar manager. The
0: female bar manager. Oh, heard,
1: because she had brothers. That was why. Oh, she had that's brothers. How, that's how she was qualified. You're she had brothers. Are
0: you kidding me? She didn't even, I thought it was a guy. At least he could say, Look, I've no. been hitting the nuts before, it was horrible, it caused me very difficulty in driving my car home. They didn't even have that. No. Can you imagine that write up? And the insurance adjuster's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, like let's do it. Let's do it. Winner, run with that." Did the ju- Did you talk to the jury afterwards and ask them? Yeah, they
1: didn't buy that at all. Did they think so, it was so a, here's offensive? A, um, no. So again, here is a crazy part about that story. So the twelve unanimous, right? We had one juror want to give us a hundred million. A hundred million? Who? Who was a? Yeah. Middle aged white male, and we had a young white male who wanted to give us nothing. Why? I think, at when you're 24 years old, I think you're too used to the bar scene, right? That's my yeah. theory. Um, and so that's ultimately a compromise verdict, but that just shows you to go back to the unanimous verdict issue how, how
0: tough it is to get people to agree. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, have you had any other crazy cases? Well, how about you ever have trouble with this unanimous verdict thing where you've had, you know, juries fight or have problems with it?
1: Funny you say that because two trials ago, it was, my, it was a med mal trial. Great Okay, um, so you're suing case. a doctor or something, medical Su- malpractice? Suing a doctor, again, tragic, terrible story. Um, we allege the doctor um, neglected the patient, blood internally after a routine outpatient hernia, ended up having a stroke. Um oh my God. It basically become becomes bedridden, right? So like a vegetable? Nah, yeah, I mean close, not quite close. Close. Okay. Um could still could still talk, but you know. in a bed? Bed to wheelchair. Okay. Well that's not a lot good. of help. That's
0: not good. All yeah. right, so what happened?
1: So two week trial. I mean, evidence is coming in well. Um In these medical
0: malpractice cases, guys, they're just tough. Just so you understand. They're tough and they cost a ton of money. How much money did you have in, in oh, on the case? Over a quarter million. Over a quarter million dollars all riding on the line. All you, lose, you, all loo- you lose it all. Yeah. You lose it all. Not many people would say, all right, let's put 250 grand in. I got to work on the case. For how many years did you work on it? So we filed this one in 18 and COVID delayed
1: things, but so we went to trial and Twenty, early twenty-three. So what? Five years.
0: Five years. You put all your money into it and all your time. And if you lose, you get a big fat goose egg. Big fat goose egg. So what happened? So you believed in the case. Believed in the
1: case. Great case. Um, but again, you know, Medmal case, like eighty percent defense win rate. Yeah. But anyway, so you got to be selective. But anyway, so you know, two weeks worth of trial. And are you feeling good about how trial went? Yeah, I'm feeling good. I mean,
0: you do enough trials, you feel like you can kind of get a read on the jury, right? But yeah, I don't know, man. Sometimes I never know. I never know till that juror sings. Till the very end. Yeah. So two weeks. Some I know. Some I know. <laughs>
1: so we we do closing. My closing goes well. Everyone's saying, you know, hits, hits resonates. Um, defense goes. Defense apologizes to the jury for being a jerk for two weeks, which I thought was kind of ironic and funny. Was he um, a jerk for two weeks? I mean, kind of, yeah. Pretty okay. Much. <laughs> to be yeah. blunt, yeah. Um. But apparently that's his style, right? Be a jerk, be a bully, and then apologize to the jury. Mm -hmm. close um so anyway so jury gets the case i can't remember when but basically first day jury gets the case right judge calls it i want to say like 6 p.m that night and that that i'm feeling good right like usually my experience if if it takes a while especially when you got 12 right 12 jurors at a certain point you're fighting over money right um so we go home that night i'm like okay i think you know i think we got this we're feeling good come back the next day um, it's just me, the judge, and the other attorneys. We're just sitting there, you know, waiting, um, shooting the shit, chilling. Um, a couple hours go by. I'm like fighting over money, right? Um, we get first note around, I think, 11. Note comes out and basically says we're deadlocked. Well, how long had the jury been deliberating at this point? At
0: that point, I mean, this is a guess, but 10 hours. Okay. So the general rule for our listeners is... For a plaintiff, in other words, for the injured person who's suing, the longer the better. Because if you get a verdict in, you know, a half an hour, you're probably I'm losing. It. I don't I, know the stats on it. My me my, my anecdotal theory is two hours. Two hours, right? Now look, I've had verdicts in forty five minutes that have been multi million dollar verdicts, but it that's that's not uh that doesn't happen all the time mm-hmm. so you got to be careful um so okay so you get this so 10 hours so you're probably feeling pretty good i'm, I'm feeling really good especially medmal case cuz normally when it goes on that long the jury's arguing about how much money to give correct and the verdict form is usually so for those who don't know when you look at this verdict form there's like usually like what 10 questions it depends on the case mm-hmm. there might be whatever but it takes time they have to work through each question, so if they if they find against you and you're going to lose, they only need to work through one, one. question yeah one you question. lose the first question if they say no, then you just lose it's pack up and go home. that doesn't take that long right but so normally long time is is good, so okay, so so what happens so so we're at eleven we get the first note um And the first note
1: was basically, you know, we can't come to agreement. We're deadlocked. I think they use the phrase deadlocked. Um, What do we do?
0: And so deadlocked is they can't come to an agreement. And because in Illinois, it has to be unanimous. Everyone has to agree together. One juror can hold up the whole case, right? Yep. And so in a deadlock case, what normally in Michigan, the judge will pull them out, tell them, look, I appreciate it or whatever. And then you got to go back in there and keep trying. Mm-hmm. So in this case, they also put in the note, it was deadlock
1: 10, two. So we knew it was 10, two. We didn't know which side, but he told the judge 10, So 10 jurors on one side, two jurors on the other side. Correct. So in Illinois the same way. So we have two deadlock instructions, right? And basically the jury's got to, they don't have to ask for it, but once it becomes known, they, they are deadlocked, then the judge has to give it. So the judge brings them out, right? And, you know, you know, the way the plaintiff see it, I'm right here, I'm watching the jurors as they're coming out trying to get a read. And I don't know why I could, not, I could not get a read when they walked out. Was it 10 for me or two against me? So you don't know what's going on. So I don't, I don't know. But, what,
0: you, you know, I thought I could sometimes it's hard to look too much into reading jurors. Look, sometimes, you know, like I've talked previously about cases where I've been arguing and they're saying, Hallelujah. And, you know, go get them, Mr. Marco. Okay, that's an easy read. But that that doesn't happen most of the time. Right. And jurors will... I've had jurors smile at me and be really uh, pleasant, and then they rule against you. So I have gotten more skeptical of some jury reads over the years. Sometimes, though you know, mm-hmm.
1: no. And you, you kind of have an idea of who you think is on your side. Yes. So, you know, I'm trying to look at as they walk out and as they're standing there. Right. So then they're standing there. The judge lets them sit down. He's got to read the instruction. I'm watching them, seeing if anyone's making eye contact with me. No one is. So I'm sitting there like, what is going on? It's 10. Yeah. 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 Like I felt good. Judge reason, the deadlock instruction, you know, they're all like, ah, they all sigh. Um, and a lot of them do. I know it's look at this, this white older male in the top right corner. Um, reads a deadlock and basically was that guy the, the deadlock guy he was and he like shook his head like, like at the, now i know what that means but at the time i saw him shake his head and i just thought that meant there's like no way right there's no way so they go is back that and, what he was saying no way let's well yeah ultimately he was he was one of the deadlock guys but um yeah i think he there's there's nothing in my opinion he was a stealth juror there's nothing that could have happened, that would have changed his mind, right? For re- I mean, we can talk about that if we got time later. But anyway, so the jury goes back in, right? And this time, I don't know, it's probably like noon. Um, so they go back and they start deliberating again. You got the first deadlock instruction, right? Another hour and a half goes by and they get another note. We're still deadlocked. So in Illinois, we got to do the second deadlock instruction, right? So they come out. Oh, I apologize. Before the second deadlock, the defense attorney approached me and said hey do you want to agree to a verdict of 10 rather than unanimous 12 which is quite frankly unheard of in illinois and it's incredible because if you're a defense attorney you're not going to agree to that unless yeah, 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 you yeah. think you've got the 10. and i was like oh let me think about it i'm not sure because um, i just didn't i didn't get a good you didn't re- know i didn't know and then he's over here like oh i got this i'll i'll agree to 10 if you'll agree to 10. um and so at the time I was like, let me think about it. I don't know. And then we get the other note, right? Saying they're deadlocked still. So now the judge has to read the second deadlock. And if this second instruction doesn't break it, mistrial, right? Two weeks of trial, so it's all $40 over. million dollars spent.
0: And we got to do this again. And you got to do the whole thing over again. So and That's a nightmare. And that's a nightmare for plaintiffs because we spend all that time and money in on it. For sure. And and the
1: other bad thing is, you know, we've got a client I don't know if, how much longer he's going to be able to hold on. Right. I mean, he's, he's in and a home, put the client
0: through that, that's put the horrible. client
1: through it again. Um, so I mean, there's more than just, you know, our issues are small compared to that. Right. And yeah. That, that kind of go back to the, the gut in your stomach with deliberations. Like that's what weighed on me more is can my client handle this again? Right. Go through this again. But so anyway, so brings the jury back out and this time they come out and I can read, I can read them and I'm like, Oh no, it's 10 for plaintiff. Like, um, you know, make an eye contact. I could tell who was, who, who was, who, um, I wasn't quite sure yet who was against us, but I knew, I knew for a fact more were for us than against us. So it had to be 10 to our favor. Judge reads it to him, goes back. I approached the defense attorney and I say, let's do it. Agree to 10. I'll agree to 10. He's like, really? You'll agree to 10? I was like, yeah, let's do it. He said, well, I got to call my adjuster and see if she agrees. He's like, I'm going to recommend it. So he goes out in the hall. He's on the hall for like 30 minutes. Um, calls to his adjuster you know he's pacing back and forth he comes in he's like all right we'll do it we'll agree to a verdict of 10 not 12 right so mm-hmm. we need a unanimous 10 out of 12 judge brings the jury back out you know still feeling really good and reads them the stipulation saying that the parties have agreed to a verdict of 10 of you so if 10 of you agree sign your name to the verdict form and then the case can and then be we're over, done and then yeah. we're done and um some of the jurors kind of kind of like chuckled and I thought that was good, like basically, like ha ha, you know, we're gonna win. Not you two that are holding this up. So the jurors go back, right? And this is like at this point in time, four o'clock in the afternoon. Jurors go back. It's a Friday, of course. And fifteen minutes goes by, and the defense lawyer looks at me. Even the judge is like, "Hmm." You know, I would have thought they would have been back by now, right? Um, Thirty minutes goes by, and at this point in time, the defense lawyer runs into the hall. And the other attorney, there's two attorneys, runs in the hall, is on the phone, pacing back and forth, right? And so he comes in. He's like, huh, it's just really weird that they, um, they're they not back yet. And I said, well, Mr. Defense lawyer, you know, once you get past liability, you got to figure out damages, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> there's all the questions on how much money should the
1: verdict be. Right. Right. So, you know, he, he didn't think that was funny. I, I thought it was funny, but he didn't like that. So hour goes by. Hour 15 goes by. Note comes out. says, we're deadlocked at 9-3.
0: No, no. And so the one nine, three in your favor. Well, ultimately, yes.
1: But at the time again, so this is not like what somewhere around five, it's nine, three. And I, you know, it's all blurring out at this point, but you know, I'm trying to do the analysis in my mind, no one in their right mind would flip to save the doctor, right? If someone's going to flip, it would be to save the plaintiff verdict, right? So, in my mind I was like well, I must have misread it right nine three must be nine three defense but someone couldn't fathom the plaintiff losing after all so they flipped um and there was some brief discussion about whether we would step step to nine by that point everyone was so freaked out by what was going on that we didn't so Mistrial was declared um luckily oh ultimately God. the case the case actually settled before mistrial was declared um but yeah ten ten two um. Juror did flips. you talk to the juror? We talked to him after, and they did in fact someone flipped for the doctor. Um, it was nine three, plaintiff's favor. Jurors said they probably would have given ten million.
0: Um Oh my God. See, it's always man, it's a game of inches, huh? You know it really is. So was that old white guy uh the bad the yep, bad guy? He
1: was the ringleader. I'm convinced he was a stealth juror, but um,
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, man, every time I have a really bad juror that messes it up. I don't know if it's just what's going on. It's always an old white guy. Old Every white. time it's some old <laughs> mean white guy.
1: I I concur.
0: Like, I don't know what's, what's up with you that. You got to
1: promise we can't be that when we're old. old.
0: I know. I hope I'm not going to be a mean old white guy. I'm getting <laughs> there. I don't know what's going to happen, but my God, I think of like all back to all my bad verdicts. And it was always the mean old white guy <laughs> looking at me like, yeah, got you, got you, buddy. got you, young whippersnapper. Got you got you. So uh, one last thing I'd before, cause I've never had a deadlock jury. Uh, I, that I, was
1: the de- defense lawyer. I mean, he has been practicing for, I don't know, 25 years. And I think he's, he's said that's like normally the first they'll, time
0: they'll work it out. I mean, normally like a long, sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes a short time, but normally mm-hmm. they work it out and they'll come to a compromise. Yep. So like, you know, in that case, since it was so many overwhelming for the plaintiff, Normally what happens is they agree to give you a verdict, give your client a verdict. Just bring the number But down. they, yeah, they, they cheap out on you. Yep. So the guys will say, fine, I'll agree to this, but we're not going to give that much. And then they compromise and come to a consensus. That's usually what happens based on my you know, discussions, the studies and stuff. But you used a word that I want to talk about before we finish, Nick, and that's about a stealth juror. Yep. So what did you mean by that?
1: So, yeah, it's, it's becoming a bigger issue, but basically stealth jurors, you know, with for people that don't know, jury selection, right? you get to talk to them. they not know he's the same, not necessarily federal court, but you get to talk to them, see what they have to say. And generally, in my experience, pretty much everyone's honest, right? I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like this about the case, don't like you, whatever. A stealth juror is someone who has a desire to get on the jury, right, generally because they're anti-lawsuit, anti-plaintiff, and so to do that, they don't say anything to tip off the lawyer about how they really feel,
0: so then they get on the jury. So they, they basically hide it. their feelings to get on the jury and deceive the lawyers and the judge. Correct. So they can influence what happens. Correct. This is uh, this was based on a John. Well, no, this is John Grisham wrote a book that was based on this idea because this does happen. Okay, and I've seen it. Uh, John Grisham wrote a book called A Runaway Jury. Now, it was a fictional book. I don't know if you remember that book. No, absolutely. And they made a movie out of movie. it. That's one of my favorite movies, Gene Hackman. Yeah, Gene Hackman's yep. in it. It's about somebody who tried to get on the jury. I think it was a tobacco litigation case. And uh, that's very dangerous. And so we have, you know, voir dire, but I've had stealth jurors before. And one of the things that scares me the most is When you ask people and you tell them, look, here's what I'm concerned about in my case, whatever it is, you know, in that case, you know, maybe it was doctors, you know, does anybody have family or friends that are doctors or I have a great relationship with my doctor, you know, whatever. And you say, does that bother you at all? Or can you be fair? And if the juror says without any hesitation Mm -hmm. immediately, oh, I can be fair or I'm the most fair person, you know, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. People aren't like. Everybody has feelings and circumstances, and if you're honest with yourself, they, you know, that should cause you a little bit of thought. Right. And so you have to be very aware of these stealth jurors um, who really want to ruin your case for you. Because it's usually for the defense. It's not like, you know, like I when I do discrimination cases, I do a lot of civil rights work. The people who are the most honest and they'll say look right. i have some bad experiences with discrimination mr Markle. i think i'm going to be favoring you yep okay it's my experience and so what can you do the judge dismisses those people on the other hand the people who are like oh i'm not a i don't have a discrimination mm-hmm. bone in my body i don't have any problems with anything that the, you got to take a really hard look at That's the okay. thing with this guy he he
1: you know and usually you could kinda of read people too when they're kinda of being incongruent with what they're saying, but I you know, I kinda of had he was the absolute first juror, so I just I didn't wanna strike someone that early on without him saying something. Yeah,
0: but you don't know, you know, hindsight's twenty exactly. twenty. Exactly. And uh God, you know, you go back and you're like, Why didn't I see this? Why didn't I do this? But that's part of being a trial lawyer is we have to we self doubt our ourselves cause we care, we wanna get better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you learn and you try to make sure it doesn't happen again. But some of this stuff is out of our hands, you know,
1: there's some there's some luck, some gambling involved. Right. For sure.
0: There's always the only I'm not a gambler. The only place I gamble is in the courtroom. That's right. (laughs) So we do the best we can and we hope that justice will prevail. Most of the time I find it does. For sure. um, But there are the one offs where it doesn't, you know, but most of the time. I find that the jury system is pretty damn good. Absolutely. I, I mean I should send you the uh, there's a
1: recent case that came out, but anyway, I mean, jurors are a lot smarter than I think a lot of people realize and it it's near impossible to trick a jury. They they you those people know what's going on.
0: Yeah, and through common sense, through their observations, through sense of fairness, uh, mo- they get to the right result most of the time, I think. Mm-hmm. I have faith in our jury system. I think it's important. Um, And tips and tricks don't work. You yeah, know, like I have sure. people, they're like, what's the trick?
1: There is no there trick,
0: right. dude. Be honest. Be, be honest, be yourself. Be authentic. Tell the story. Care. There's no trick. This isn't like David Blaine, let me right. wave my hands and come up with the million-dollar verdict, so... Well, Nick, I know you got to get on a plane and go back to Chicago, man. Start trial Monday. You start trial Monday. Well, good luck. I know you'll do great. We're rooting for you. Hopefully, you don't get a deadlock jury. Yeah. uh, Hopefully, you get a big one. We'll light the fires for you. So thanks a lot for coming on the show, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Yep. Great job. So this has been another episode of Cases Gone Wild. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Please share this with your friends and family. Please like us on Facebook. You can watch it on YouTube as well if you want to see us in action today. Uh, Please, if you or someone that you know needs help anywhere in Michigan, in Chicago, anywhere, please contact us. We'll make sure you get in touch with the right people. You can go online to our website, www.MarcoLaw.com. That's M-A-R-K-O-Law.com. You can submit your case right online. You don't even have to talk to anybody. We'll make sure you get the help you need. Or you can call us. 313-777-7LAW. We'll see you in two weeks on the next Cases Gone Wild.